0: A few years ago, I was at a yoga festival up in the high desert in California called Bhakti Fest. It is full of these strange Dr. Seussian spiky trees with big white flowers, and it's very hot and dusty, and tents are set up everywhere uh, with people teaching yoga and meditation and dance classes. It's very joyful. Uh, People of all ages and races who are just looking for a break. And of course, they have merchants. And in the merchant section, most of the places are loaded up with batik blankets and statues and yoga mats and a little bit cluttery. It's a festival scene, you know. I come around a corner and there's a different kind of tent. It's got white tablecloths and small stone-like objects arranged as if they were jewelry, very carefully curated. And there's a woman there who's Wearing cowboy boots and a sundress and a hat, and she's tone and brown and has this super attractive, infectious energy. Like she's just resonating in a really deep way. And I was like, wow, who's that? And I went up and decided to talk to her. I introduced myself, and she showed me her booth, and her booth was selling uh, yoni eggs made out of precious stones. And her name is Anna Judd, and she's my guest today. Now, We are going to talk a little bit about how she ran across North America and how she started using the Yoni eggs and built this company, Kegel. But I didn't ask her on to talk about those things. I asked her on because she is one of the most uh, intuitive livers I know, like listening to what wants to be born in her and always evolving. She's an artist, uh, a deep, deep listener, creator. And she also has sort of mastered for herself the power of belief and how to shift your beliefs. So that was why I invited her on. And the episode doesn't disappoint. We have a super rich conversation about not only yonis and goal setting and how you view your body and how to make a mind movie and depth painting and goodness knows what else, but really how to... Listen into what wants to come in your own life and then craft your plan from that, uh, that, that deep being present. So thanks for coming back and hanging out with me on the Rose Woman Pod. And please enjoy this episode with Anna Judd. Hi, everybody. It's Christine. Welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. This week, I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Anna Judd.
1: Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So so before you did Kegel, you were going across the country
0: or something. You were a big athlete. You're a runner, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So um, (laughs) I ran across the United States in 2014 on foot. And um, that was sort of like a self-designed rite of passage, I think is the best way to describe it. And um, it was a really arduous journey. And um, I kind of, you know, my whole life, I had this habit of treating my body sort of like an old tractor, just like pushing it to the limits, very utilitarian. um, And that run was kind of part of that, just I I think just testing my limits, and by the time it was over, um, I started to learn a lot about healing, and Yoni eggs became a a big journey for me as far as um, healing the feminine, healing in soft ways, and reconnecting with the body, so that's how that started.
0: I mean, I love that you started with my body as a tractor. I don't hear many people (laughs) <laughs> you know, say like, I, I'm a workhorse. I'm a good little soldier. My body is a tractor. I can demand anything of it. I can put anything in it and it's just going to work for me. Um, but so, so what do you think it was about the run that changed your perspective or that shifted your perspective on it?
1: Um. Honestly, I, I think that, well, at, at first I thought that I could really do anything and I was really banking on my, on the power of belief when I decided to run what ended up being 30 miles a day. And that's really what got me through it. And um, and I am a big believer that you can um, teach the body to do things through the power of belief and with the power of the mind. But there are consequences um and i uh and I was in a lot of pain and i I learned how to sort of compartmentalize the pain in order to get through the journey. but at the end of it, um I was a bit traumatized and exhausted uh, on several different levels, and so uh bec- like really confronting healing and learning about healing was more of a necessity for the survival and um, cultivation of my spirit at the time.
0: This, uh, so the rite of passage, however it was originally intended, um, passed you from one state of being uh, the mind dictating what the body would do to being in a new state of healing or holding or becoming uh, letting the body dictate the body, despite the fact that it was this major physical action that created the rite of passage. It actually took you to a whole nother country in a way Yeah, of tenderness, yeah. like the country of tenderness.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I come from this very puritan work ethic um, sort of ancestry and background and so the idea of healing um, has never really been talked about uh, within my family or even within my culture it's really about productivity and it's about how bright can you shine and how much can you get done so in a way healing had to become a necessity in order for me to even consider it (laughs) I think
0: a, I think a lot of, it does, I, lot, I think a lot of people in our community are on the same page. Like not only, I don't just mean in like your in my friendship circles or in the world of entrepreneurs, but a lot of the women in the Rosebud community, you know, have been taught that they're productive assets. They're like transactional vehicles for getting things done. And this idea of simply being and being whole and integrated um, sometimes runs up against really old programming. And not only our own programming, I've been thinking a lot lately about that we're not individuals, we're the continuation of life and the sort of cumulative inheritance of all of the evolutionary uh, intelligence that has come before us. And so even if we want to pull away and create a healing and wholing beingness, we're still pulling against many, many generations of productivity measurements. So it takes a little, it takes quite a bit to sort of evolve oneself. Uh, And you're also sort of evolving the whole species when you're making that evolutionary move. Um, But it's, it's difficult.
1: Yeah. So I think um, as like with, for yoga for example you know i think a lot of people get in and get into it because they want to transform their body and maybe they want to get into it for superficial reasons um and then they discover like this whole other layer um which is in my opinion the most valuable part which is like the integration of the body and the mind and the heart and the spirit and like with yoni eggs when i first heard about it it wasn't my intent To heal it I just thought they sounded really sexy and I wanted to give them a try and um, and I as I learned more about them and as I started using them I realized that some of the stuff that I had been doing with uh, my own meditations and energy medicine um, the Yoni egg was a really cool supplementary tool that guided me through that and sort of took me to the next level so, for those of people who don't know what a yoni egg is, it's um a semi precious gemstone that you insert into your yoni or your vagina and um you contract your pelvic floor muscles around it and it strengthens and tones and tightens the muscle and uh muscles and it and it you know it helps you become more orgasmic and And in many ways, it helps you to sort of heal the relationship that you have with your yoni. Um, And then there's this whole other aspect of it too, is um, using the yoni egg as a way to help you raise energy, which is how I like to use it.
0: What does that mean? Like Kundalini, like the snake that's coiled at the base or like vibration energy? (laughs) When you say that, what do you mean?
1: Uh, okay so um yeah so when i say that um i do mean like i would say kundalini energy um and what's funny is that you know when you look back at your life you can see the universe like sort of dropping hints for like what's to come and while i was running across america um me and one of the women on my support team, when I would be facing a really difficult challenge, um, this woman, she would always tell me to Kegel up because um, it seemed that whenever I Kegled, I would get like this rush of energy and I would be able to push myself to the next level. And so that's what I mean by like using your sexual energy as a woman. And um, you can use it in the bedroom, of course. But there are also ways to even sublimate it.
0: There, There is definitely something to learning how to microcontrol those muscles that not only heals the pelvic basin as a structural activity in the base of the body, but also uh, gets you more in tune and feeling with all of the uh, sensations that are available there and allows you to control a little bit the, the angle and the uh, pressure points within the vaginal canal and can enhance your pleasure and your partner's pleasure. And then, of course, the energy piece is moving in the etheric body in a way that, you know, I can't quite exactly put my finger on, but I do know when the when things are flowing really openly in my pelvic bowl. It's like it is moving up my spine. My heart feels more activated. My uh, face gets more energized. The crown shines a little bit. I do feel this like sweet running of electrical current up and down my spine to the crown um, when I'm paying attention down there. But you were doing all that. That was no longer really the thing that was moving you. And so you spent a lot of time educating women, you have a beautiful set of videos that are available, you're selling product, but you continue to, you didn't stay there, you continue to evolve. So can you tell us a little bit more about the practice you go through to sort of sense into what's next for you?
1: Um, so as I have gotten older and spent more years on this planet, I have really just tried to surrender and pay close attention to what's happening around me and um and kind of be open to receiving new opportunities and new experiences and so kegel sort of slowly ended um when I was approached with an opportunity to get back into my art again with a really large commission because um, I'm a trained classical painter and um, making art has always been my main passion, I would say. And that has varied between making material objects like paintings or doing performance art like running across America. so, I just took that opportunity and um and saw like what what new learning I could incorporate it incorporate back into this opportunity, and I feel like everything just sort of uh continues to uh amplify itself if that makes sense, so I started creating um soul portraits is the first thing that I call them um but they're this they're these long-term paintings that I create with a client um that is like an in-depth exploration of what they have always wanted to express and what they would express if they were an artist so that's sort of what I started working on next
0: I remember you telling me about this process um, that what I had thought of as like a depth painting and the level of which the level to which you went to observe and interview the person on whose behalf you were making the painting was so powerful. Can you talk about one of those processes, how you met with the person and what you were listening for or looking for?
1: yeah so um i decided that i sort of wanted to do this in-depth exploration of another person and um i had to sort of create a structure around it and i find that um, the chakra system is like a really a uh, cool structure to use for exploring every part of a person um, and i like to use it in the way that carl young sort of explored it um so you combine you know the spiritual aspects and the psychological aspects and so we met several times um, we did some meditations together um, i have my client answer inquiries uh, not just about their past or like what excites them or what makes them passionate, um, but also on the aesthetic end. So I literally show my clients thousands of different paintings and um, kind of help them to understand what really moves them visually and sort of understand like what kind of art they actually really like, because a lot of people I I find they don't know the style of art that really uh, speaks to them
0: you're saying they can't name the style but they can yeah. tell you what they like or what they respond to yeah and there's a there's a quote I know you and I've talked before about Gerhard Richter and he makes he says that his his concern is never art but always what art can be used for I think he meant that more in terms of, political statements moving the heart moving the culture but even in this case like what do you anticipate this art will be used for on behalf of your subject or you
1: um i sort of think of this painting as their talisman like a giant talisman in their Mm -hmm. living room because Mm -hmm. i only like to use like um like large paintings um so i usually do the large-scale oil paintings and Um, Something that they can look at that reminds them of who they are and also um, all of the beauty that exists in them inherently because really um, after they figure out like what kind of style they like, I then go into making the composition. And that involves making hundreds of different drafts of this composition of a painting. And they're collaborating with me the whole time, saying, like, oh, I don't like this here. or I want more of this here. So they're sort of guiding me through this whole process or sort of they're the artist using me as their tool, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And my why i love the process so much is because um it's really about what they want to create and it's not about what i want to create anymore and i think most artists would hate that but i really love the idea of playing um with disappearing as the artist like not being anywhere in the painting um, and just having them be there instead and so that's a lot of fun and um And then in order for them to understand what the process is like painting, I create a journal, like a handwritten journal. So every time when I go to my studio, I'll write an entry about, you know, the issues that I'm confronting. Because you have up days and down days in the studio. And I mean, sometimes I'm in there for 12 hours and... um, you know, a lot of stuff can come up where I'll get really good ideas. So everything goes into the journal and there's drawings and sketches and stuff. And they get at that at the end with their painting too. So it's sort of like they were there with me through the whole process. That's, uh,
0: you you only work on one of these as a to- at a time or are you working on multiple of these? It sounds like a deep symbiosis. I don't see how you could do more, more than one.
1: No, I can only do one at a time. And it's really, I connect so deeply with my clients when I'm doing this process. And I've only done done this twice, um, but it, the connection is so deep, it's almost becomes this psychic connection. There's a really strong um, uh, knowing of where they're at and where I'm at, and there's a lot of direct communication. And so um, I, I can't imagine doing too and I would be a, it I don't think it could be an in integrity if I did two at a time I, someone's someone might end up in the wrong painting or something might end up in a, a, a painting that was meant for a different one if that makes sense you know I just um this is
0: it, it totally makes sense it's so intimate I could totally see that it sounds like you're doing isn't there a style of acting where you go full immersion um yeah. I think it's yeah, I can't. Method it's acting. Me- it's method believe. acting. Full yeah. immersion. Yeah, and so you you have to block out everything else and you become that character in your off screen life too until the f- the film is complete. So when you moved into the mind movie thing, do you feel that there's some of the same energy, the same tracing of the other person's experience uh, in that? Well, tell a little bit about the mind movies and how you came to do that, and is it related to the painting process, and if so, how, etc.?
1: Yeah, okay. So, um, first of all, yes, it is like method acting a lot, um, and it's something that uh, you actually have to be careful with because at some at some points, especially the first client I had, I learned a, a lot about um, getting too enmeshed um, or or sort of channeling them too much, but um, I made this rule that I would only work with people who I strongly uh, admire and who have really good values because I do end up emulating um, them in some ways um, just by working so closely with them. Um, And so I started making mind movies because I read the Joe Dispenza's book, Becoming Supernatural and i immediately saw that this was this could be sort of considered another art form which was not creating a painting but creating reality so um it was something that i wanted to play with so i made my own mind movie which is basically like a real-time vision board um but uh they they suggest making it sort of like a power presentation powerpoint presentation but i went all out and i sort of turned it into this um full experience um, uh, music video of my future and i started to watch it multiple times a day And it was really quick, probably within a month and a half or two months where the stuff in my movies started to show up in really crazy, synchronistic ways that could not be explained in any other way. That the mind movie created them or this practice created them. And um, it was so much fun that I decided that I wanted to start making them for other people. And so I had been doing some creative coaching with another artist, um sort of guiding them through a process that they were trying to figure out how to do and I made one for them, and the same thing happened to them, and they started to um, manifest a bunch of stuff in their life um that not just uh material objects but feelings and states of being uh which i feel are more important and so um yeah the process is the same it it's not six months like um, a large-scale oil painting would be it's it's a lot quicker than that because it's easier to make but um but yeah it it is sort of like this fully immersive experience diving into another person's world into their desires and even beyond desire and into like the the purest distillation of them like what does what is meant for that person and what is gratifying fulfilling for that um for that soul what is satisfying for the soul of a person, and and that takes a lot of attention and sort of radical nurturing to get to that point and get it right.
0: The radical nurturing piece is real to me. Um, this creation of a safe container where someone could actually pursue the question, "What am I really interested in? What am I activated by? What do I desire? And letting go of all the preconceived ideas of what that was, sort of coming into the now. And when you say that, you know, you're listening to what life wants for yourself and then able to respond to that without holding too long or clinging to things that are outdated dreams, it seems like that's also part of the process you're doing on behalf of your client,
1: yeah well it's something really interesting happens in this process um, of actually exploring your desire um, because so many of us get confused about what we really want because we take on the desires and the expectations of others and um, we we start to want things or we think that we want things that aren't actually wholly satisfying so within the process you know someone might start off by saying like oh um i want to live in santa fe new mexico and i want a maserati and i want 12 papas on chairs and um a fleet of horses (laughs) you know but as they as they start to think and believe that they're actually capable of having what they want, they begin to distill their desires, and they begin to um, sort of uh, deepen the understanding they have of themselves. And all of a sudden, these things that are um, that they've sort of been suppressing, or they're they're even like these childhood dreams and. Um, Things that they haven't even allowed themselves to look at start to come up through the process. And um, to be honest, um, it's so intense and it's such a delicate process that um, I have started working with um, a coach who does it professionally because um, it, it could probably go on for months and months and months um if someone was working with me because uh i'm not a trained professional with coaching um but i uh, it is like to allow yourself to really feel into the life that you want to create it it takes courage and it takes the safe container like you said and i think that it takes um knowing and feeling the belief that others have in you.
0: So this idea that if you believe you can have what you want, then you really have to intentionally know what you want. But that the more subtle you get and the more you understand your creative potential, your co-creative potential, I imagine, the more the more careful you have to be around what you're asking for. Is that true?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I think that as people start to work with this, um, my experiences, um, and I have experienced this myself as well, is that eventually you get to the place where the mo- you recognize that the most important thing is how you want to feel, um, and how you want to, and like how you want to be like your state of being and um even even being in complete surrender and completely embracing the unknown sort of this Taoist view on life if that makes sense so um it's not i think that as we distill our desires little by little and once we once you realize that you can have anything that you want, pretty much, if you are feeling the right way, then I think you realize you just really, what matters is the feeling.
0: Yeah, so I, instead of saying, I would like to live in a minimalist, modern castle on the beach, uh, where my friends are coming and going, I might imagine the feeling tone of complete relaxation, clarity, warmth, the embrace of community, how that might feel, uh, the open doors, the sun on your face, et cetera, rather than the physical uh structure that I imagine would deliver that is that what i 'm hearing correct yeah,
1: absolutely, and a part of that is um because sometimes we think we want things because we we believe that those things once we get them we're gonna feel a certain way, but oftentimes we 're wrong about that, you know, so um exactly like feeling the comfort and warmth and love of friendship and community like maybe the universe has a better idea of what's going to make you feel that way than you actually do
0: this this willingness to trust that there might be something better out there if you lean in and allow
1: uh feels so inviting to me mm, yeah yeah, it's um it does feel like an adventure absolutely. Um and it it is a it is a great way I think to live is with a sense of adventure. And um and I think that has a lot to do with gratitude and maybe not clinging very tightly to the idea of who you are. Um which is kind of um i would i don't know if it's revolutionary it feels like in today's world people it seems are spending a lot of time defining themselves um and like i'm like why is everybody talking about their identity so much don't they know how great it is like not to have an identity even for just a moment and so um Maybe not clinging so tightly to the idea that you have of who you are or what's possible and just being open to seeing what brings you excitement and joy, whether that's like being in service or um, whether it's not knowing what's going to happen next or whether it's trying something that you've never even thought of doing before and that you might be terrible at in the beginning, <laughs> you know. Just having a little courage in that way, it's fun. You know, life should be fun. I think
0: life should be fun. Actually, you're you're tapping into some of the most ancient theories on what life is for. Um, I was studying. I don't know if you know this uh, about me, but I was studying Bhairava Tantra, Shiva's Tantra, from the 13th century, and that worldview predates so much of our modern Western thinking on what we're here for. And they basically say that all of creation wants to individuate so that it can see every possible permutation of of, cre- of of what's possible in life, and that you're one of those permutations, and that no one else will ever see the world exactly the way you do, and that they won't taste the things you taste and run the way you run um, and it's the same for a lichen or a tree or something like that, and that the entire creative impulse of the universe is is the enjoyment of seeing what's possible and that as we make each of our choices, We are evolving the universe and consciousness simultaneously, that when we act for our pleasure and joy and creativity, we are acting in the same manner of the original creative impulse. And that while uh, consciousness individuates into every single manifest dense reality thing we look at, at the same time, each of us is sort of reaching back and longing for the union to reconnect to the mystery. And that it's this pulse between the unification and the fragmentation that is the whole pulse of the universe. And that pleasure is not only like a a right or a nice to have, it's actually the entire purpose of existing. I kind of oh. like that as a life
1: philosophy. Very <laughs> yeah.
0: far cry from my Sunday school.
1: <laughs> I absolutely love what you just said. And I'm glad that you recorded it because I can't wait to listen to it again. (laughs) I would agree with that. I I think that we should be following our bliss, following what's exciting to us, what feels good. Um, And, you know, uh, a big part of that, I think, is being in tune with your body, which I know you have also studied quite a bit as well. And, um, And I think that Rosebud Woman also, it... Uh, helps women to get more in touch with their bodies and um, maybe to be more present um, using using like these little tools that we have around us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you know, the thing about making a body care company, um, even targeted body care for intimate areas or the other stuff for the whole body and aiming it for not how it looks or how it gives pleasure to others, but that you feel really good about inhabiting your own suit, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the whole goal is you for you, you know, and then from there, whatever radiates out into others is a, is a miraculous bonus, perfect health and pleasure. So I want to ask you a little bit about, um, taking the things that you've learned and that you're doing for clients. And if people can't, if nobody, not everybody, can have an Anna right now, um, you mentioned a little earlier, like noticing what brings you joy and pleasure uh, as a tool, as a sort of a, a step in. But can you give people some guidelines if they were going to prepare to do their own mind movie or their own uh, depth painting or something like that? What questions might they ask? What practices might they do?
1: Um, okay, well, that's a really good question. Um, I think that, um, well, one thing that I like to do is go back to your childhood, maybe, and do a meditation by yourself. Um, And I'm not sure if everyone has a memory of this, but there was some point, I think, in everybody's life that the inner critic didn't exist yet, where you just were. Um where you just were you and you were just being you and you were experiencing life and interacting with life and curious and joyful and um and I think that's the state that we should all be in when we're thinking about what we want to do next. Um and so cultivating a certain curiosity about yourself and noticing how you react to different things, noticing what things bring you pleasure and what things bring you joy, um, and also noticing when you like something, but it's, it's sort of tied to like your identity. So, um, you know, it might be because you come from, um, or or your partner likes a certain type of sweater, and so when you see that sweater, you're like, I want that sweater, but really you don't want that sweater, you want that sweater to please your partner, right? So it's like um, sort of sifting that stuff out. And getting down to this state where um, you don't feel like anybody is watching you, you're not thinking about other people, and I do think that it's necessary to just spend some time alone. Like turn off your phone, turn off um, the TV. Um, you know, just and and just be with yourself. Spend some quiet time with yourself. That is such a the most valuable thing I think anybody can do. Um, and it's really hard because we're so connected to our toys, but, um, if you want to get to know yourself, spend some time with yourself.
0: Mm, I try to do that in the morning, you know, for a little meditation or a walk every day. And sometimes right before bed, like I started asking myself, um, what do I need to see before I go to bed? Um, Or if there's a question that's up, like right now it is, what do I desire? And so I I ask it in that liminal time, just as I'm falling asleep. And it guides my unconscious in the night. And usually something pops up, uh, unexpected but very helpful in guiding my waking hours from the invitation for uh, seeing during the nighttime. So there's, there's also, in in addition to just taking time to yourself, there's also the leveraging of the, of the liminal times.
1: I see. I would love to learn a lot more about that. So, um, how, how do you take advantage of that?
0: I read this amazing piece, um, by Cormac, you know, Cormac McCarthy, the writer. He wrote yeah. a piece called The Kakuli Problem for the Santa Fe Institute, uh, maybe in 2017. And he said that the unconscious mind is the operating system of all mammals, and it only works in pictures, which is one of the reasons I think your uh, methodology is, that, that's arisen for you recently is so interesting. The unconscious only works in pictures. It, that 500 kinds of mammals don't have advanced language; uh, that they basically receive information in in visuals, uh, and and that's how, and they know what it means. But we're the only species that has language and consciousness that's separate from this unconscious operating system of the mammal. And so, often when your intuition is trying to talk to you, it's talking to you in a flash of an image. Um, Or in a dream state, there's a picture that's coming. Or when you're waking in in this like half awake, half asleep before language has taken over, you're getting a hit from it. But it's an image-based hit, usually not uh, immediately using words. And that when you... Uh, hear the words; it's usually a secondary layer, a translation layer. And to start to pay attention to what those images are that are coming to you as you're falling asleep, as you're waking up from the dream state, as you're in meditation, and to let those land and let them have import. Uh, so, so as you're, you might ask the question uh, when you're going into sleep, or when you're coming um, out of, in, or you're going into meditation, not to hear what you need to hear, but to see what you need to see. And then uh, so that is it invites the, the image-based communication of the unconscious to go to work. Then, of course, how you make the meaning out of it when your language takes over again. What did that mean? Um, just trying to stay as true as possible to the feeling tone of the image, not override it or fight it or kick it away or lay too much logic on it, just try to stay connected to the feeling tone of what you noticed.
1: That's awesome, I love that. It's amazing
0: and the reason it's called the Kukuli problem is because uh, that scientist Kikouli, um, was trying to figure out uh, the shape of the benzene molecule and in his lab forever and ever and ever, he just couldn't figure it out. And he went to bed asking the question and he had a dream of an Ouroboros, you know, the snake that eats its own tail. And he's like, that's it. It's a ring. He woke up in the morning and was like, it's a ring. His subconscious, his unconscious gave him the image he needed to understand the structure of the molecule that the, the language processing mind couldn't see. If you're interested in philosophy, you're interested in thinking about thinking. This question of how does the is the language and conscious mind is sort of like he calls it an upstart in the structure of the of our operating system that really we need to be able to drop into where all this deep wisdom and knowing lives, which is in the
1: unconscious. Wow, I love that. I love that. And, you know, um, really exploring my dreams has not been something I have done yet in my life and i keep getting pushed in that direction but i i have a wall of resistance up for some reason um maybe because uh despite everything that i'm into still um asking for guidance through dreams uh feels like kind of hocus pocus to me i have this weird block with it i don't know what that is but maybe just asking the question what do i need to see before i go to sleep maybe that will yield some sort of incredible result oh, i don't well, know it's unless like to i trust try. It,
0: i think <laughs> you don't and and for me like i started i was bitching about war tech like that war tech is a crime against humanity for the longest time and you know how could all of these great minds of scientists and problem solvers be focused on destruction. It's just so sad to me. I go to bed and I have this series of dreams that are super detailed and complex of like drones that are uh, flying from room to room and looking for people who are in crisis and helping them and drones that are flying in formation over a disturbed crowd and distracting them and entertaining them and you know, bombs that explode laterally to dig trenches instead of harm people. And I woke up with this, like, pow, you know, every technology that we have for war would be, could totally be retooled and wrote it down and sketched out as much as what I saw in the dream that I could. And then went and made a, a, a prototype, a prototype of the drone, a 3D prototype, you know, which is now uh, exists. Wow. It's very interesting. Like, it's not so much hocus pocus as that that you're so busy with your conscious life suffocating your intuition all the time. Mine, mine, not saying yours, nor you, anybody who's listening, who's actually in tune with what's going on in their life, but that it's just so much of like, get the windshield fixed and go to the DMV and, you know, pay the, do the QuickBooks, whatever that happens to be day after day after day that... This evening space is like a sweet opening to get back to the unconscious and the intuition and the part that always knows. So if you can create the space in your life to slow down, like many people are consciously doing in this COVID time, awesome. But if you're like me, you find that difficult in the waking days, then you know, maybe give it a shot. Give a shot of leaning into the, the space between sleeping and wake and, and the dream state. And just keep a little journal, like write down what comes up, put the date. Anything that's memorable right as you get out of bed, I keep it right by my bed. And if I wake in the night and it was from an intense dream, I'll sketch that out too. Sometimes it doesn't mean anything, but I would say eight times out of 10, there's a message there.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, that's really good news and bad news (laughs) because I have um, some of the wackiest, weirdest, nonsensical, and disturbing dreams and I really don't want to think that eighty percent of them have symbolic value. I really want to believe that a lot of them are nonsense.
0: <laughs> okay, well, you go ahead. There's also the theory that dreams are
1: just are
0: just okay. we'll go into dream theory. I'll go into dream theory for another minute. okay. there's also just the 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 mechanistic view that dream theory is that the dreams are just your bro your your you're unconscious you're like you're defragging basically you go to sleep and at night it's like how the brain reorganizes memories and drops things into long term storage and by the way if people have sleep apnea or difficulty sleeping this is why you know how it's correlated to memory loss or difficulty difficulty with memory is that rem and deep sleep states consolidate your memories and organize your organize your the information that you've absorbed during the day so there's a lot of data to support the idea that dreaming is uh, organization and maintenance process for the brain, just like, you know, exercising and eating and defecating are for the body. So... There's that, it may mean nothing. They're just off-gassing little fragments and sparks. There's also a theory of dreaming that says the life we're in is the dream. And that's like a whole another state that the etheric body goes and visits at night. So it's having its own separate life uh, that that sometimes pushes through to the waking life, but not, not for everyone. Uh, so there's that theory of dreaming. And there's other things that that are related to memory management that you know are being documented now by actual neuroscience. Um, about the roles dreaming dreams play in your life. So don't take my dreaming as a, as a, what would you call it? Uh, the I Ching of the, of the, of existence or whatever, the tarot cards,
1: the tarot cards
0: of the mind or something.
1: I I, I like it. I like it. And You know what I realized as I was sort of like uh poking fun at my nonsense dreams, like my resistance is probably because i don't want to look deeper into some of these dreams and so i'm like uh, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna call it hocus pocus because i don't want it to mean anything (laughs) i think that to some extent um in life you know life only really has the meaning that we give it the things in our life only have the meaning that we give it you know so um, that's like a door you're, to be open. Philo- you
0: are a total an old-time philosopher, an old-timey philosopher.
1: <laughs> I totally am. <laughs> life, yeah. life only—it's.
0: I'm, I'm a phenomenologist. Life is only has only has the meaning where one gives it. I, I uh-huh. mean, like, I can see you like with a pipe, with a pipe in an easy chair,
1: yeah. Band. I'm always about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, all piny. about
0: that. I love that <laughs>
1: I also want a Hugh Hefner robe too, if possible.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, totally! We'll get you a silk silk collar. Maybe you could do a combo because you know, like a little bustier with your boobs coming out, and then a Hugh Hefner robe because that could be sort of androgynous, sexy. I think. I like this. And the boobs? No, I I mean,
1: (laughs) I do. I I do. I'm gonna dream about.
0: I'm gonna dream about that tonight now.
1: <laughs> like I don't know if this is like really inappropriate, but I'd like it regardless. <laughs> I really do.
0: It's, first of all, it's totally inappropriate because it's tobacco <laughs> and polluting your body. And it's, it's like you, you're idolizing a man who objectified women, and yes. you're a woman, so you're self-objectifying. Yeah, it's all evil, but funny. Yeah, Um, I kind of like I mean, just on a darker side, I kind of like the idea myself of being in that like, like sort of laid back silk robe, observing the scene at my own kidney shaped pool and watching everybody at play like there's something in my body that really got like a little turned down by that idea in some way. You know, that like you're just creating the scene and everybody's having so much fun and it's so sexy and fun, and beauty and bodies. And, you know, there's some totally. fun totally
1: you make a good point. Like, think about all of the experiences that you're creating for all of those different people and going back to what you were saying earlier about the Tantra, which is like, you know, uh, where the universe is experiencing itself. So look at what you just created with that. In your kidney-shaped pool. <laughs> it's amazing.
0: Perhaps you just turned me on to my, my mind movie that I'm going to make around my new home. Maybe I'll design it as a purely a playground where people can come and interact and play. There'll be a COVID testing station out front <laughs> and then inside there'll be trapezes. Yeah. And trampolines. and. <laughs> Yeah. And there'll be nice animals to pet and you could hang from ropes, silk ropes on the ceiling. There'll be good music, really healthy and happy food and, um, and a place to gather and, and be in, in joy and pleasure with other beings.
1: I love that. Anyway,
0: that's my, that's, so we go full circle back to that. Um, I resolve not to be a workhorse for the, uh, productive capitalist uh, ideology that I was raised in. I resolved to follow the bliss and joy that is part of my co-creative ability and to infect others with my fundamentally pro-life philosophy so that they move off of war tech and move to things that are for life and for the planet and for each other. So
1: that's my vow going forward. Wow, I love that vow. Let me see. What's, what's my vow going forward? Um, I vow to be present to the silver lining in all situations and to be in surrender to that which happens to me, both positive and negative, and to not waste any of it. That's what I vow.
0: I love that. Okay. And we do one closing question, which if you could have people change one belief to create more or have one practice to create more freedom and liberation in their lives, what would it be?
1: Oh, man. Um, This is going to sound really weird, but it's really a question that I want people to ask themselves. (laughs) It's that, and the question is, um, like, what if you didn't need to have a purpose? And I want to explain it, but I kind of want to leave it open-ended, because I'm pretty sure that most people who are listening to your podcast are um, pretty evolved people and um smart and um introspective and i think a lot of us are very consumed with what our purpose is here on the planet but what if you what if you understood that you never got to really understand your purpose and how would that liberate you if you knew you would never even know your purpose but you would still be fulfilling it for me that created a lot of freedom
0: I love it. We're going to close on that note. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rose Woman Pod. I'm Christine Marie Mason, your host. The pod is brought to you by Rosebud Woman, a company I started in the intimate skincare space. You can find our amazing products at rosewoman.com vegan plant-based pure effective all the good stuff the guests and i imagine people out there when we do these shows and think how can we bring one little bit of insight one little lever to create more spaciousness or happiness out to the world so if you like the pod you know what to do Please share it, rate it, review it, subscribe, all of that stuff so that we can feel your love and support and keep doing it. Have a wonderful day, no matter where you're at. May the grace and joy that rests at the center of you be readily apparent.